0: Now say now you're tuned into the Wake Up and Win podcast and I am your host Devon Pouncy. We are here at the comfort of my own home. As I am recording this episode took a week off and are back here again. Glad to have you all. Obviously plenty to dive into today as we will be talking a bunch of NBA playoffs. Now y'all know this isn't the podcast that particularly likes to dig into the X's and O's and what's going on just inside of the lines. I think that, you know, with what I do as a live in-game broadcaster is where I really kind of show that skill set. But for the important games, we'll do that. And obviously right now we're in the NBA playoffs, so we'll get into many of the NBA playoffs series that are taking place right now. Obviously, uh, some of the narratives that are going on out there in regards to the legacies of some of the superstars that are left remaining here in the postseason currently. We'll get into all of that today, but y'all know how we do it. We're starting with wind shares this weekend. I will be outside Cinco de Mayo Friday night. I will be at Lulu bar per usual. A set will be a little bit different this time. Obviously we will be celebrating the holiday and uh, I'll have a little bit more of a Latin twist on my set this weekend. Usually At Lulu's, I'm playing more of a neo-soul and an R&B set. I'll get into some of the hip-hop classics as well. But in honor of the holiday, I'm going to dig into a little bit more of a Latin bag this week, which, for what it's worth, that works here in Portland. And I'm sure it works everywhere. I'm not discrediting everywhere else. But for Portland to be the type of market that it is... A predominantly white market, if you will, um, it's kind of hard to figure out what does work and what doesn't. For example, I'm a black man in Portland, and I'll just speak to this directly. While, yes, there is a hip hop market in Portland, I think Portland is a little bit behind than most markets when it comes to playing the more current, newer and relevant hip hop. A lot of the hip hop that you'll hear on the bar scene or the the small club scene that does exist here in this market usually tends to be more classic hip hop, which works pretty much everywhere. But you do have your markets, obviously, me being from California, that can kind of pick it up and be a little bit more relevant um, and, and more current, I should say, when it comes to some of the music that's selected and that just works. Obviously, if you think about markets like Houston and Atlanta, you'll get a lot more trap music, which tends to be more on the the, the current side of things in, t- in terms of what the trends are of hip-hop music that's played. So I'm not saying that to say that Portland may or may not have a Latin market, because it indeed does. I've gotten to see plenty of it. I've talked about it here on this podcast as well. There's nobody that I get requested more than Bad Bunny. So, obviously, I'll be spending a lot of bad bunny on uh, Cinco de Mayo this Friday. But come out 10 p.m. until close. I'll be there. Saturday, I'll be back at the rooftop or uh, over at Export May 6th, the day after Cinco de Mayo. The party will continue. Pull up there. I'm there from 9 p.m. to midnight. And those are my gigs for the weekend. Now, again, let's get straight to the NBA playoffs. We'll obviously start with the Golden State Warriors and the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers are up 1-0, a good win. They did what they were supposed to do, still in a victory on the road against the Golden State Warriors. Obviously, the Warriors coming off of a heck of a series. It was a seven-game series against the Sacramento Kings. Um, The Kings pushed them to their limit, and then greatness absolutely took over. Steph Curry having a 50-point game in Game 7, the most points scored in a game seven in in the history of game sevens in the NBA. And the best player in the series did what the best player is expected to do and took over in the biggest moment and the biggest game of that series. And now you turn right around short turnaround, only a day between game seven and game one of this series, the Lakers who was able to finish off Memphis in six was able to get four days rest before having to play against the Warriors and Just had a little bit more time to prepare for this particular series. And quite frankly, I think that it showed. Um, Obviously, Anthony Davis, who's a generational talent, had a huge, huge monstrous game. What I think it was 38 points, 23 rebounds or something crazy like that. Absolutely dominant, monstrous game, especially in the first half in particular, where I think he was like 9 of 10 from the field. And I'm going off the dome with some of these statistics, but y'all catch my drift here. The Warriors obviously coming off the short turnaround haven't really been able to dig into the film of the Lakers, quite frankly, because they had a task at hand already against Sacramento and had to finish the job and win that series before they could even worry about the Lakers. So I think you saw some of the tendencies from the Sacramento series from the Warriors in game one um, that just doesn't quite work against a team like the Lakers, who is a completely different team. Um, They got a lot more size. um, they're, They're bigger. They're longer. They don't particularly shoot it and score it as well. So they like to bring the game inside, which I think in certain instances favors them, obviously, being that they're the bigger team. And I think it favored them more so in game one than it did the Warriors. But I think in other instances, and we saw moments in game one, where playing against a team like that could favor the Warriors. And I talked about that a little bit. I was on uh, 620 Rip City Radio with my guy Justin Myers on his morning show, the morning of game one, and I talked a little bit more about, about that and where the Warriors could have an advantage playing against a bigger team like the Lakers, where usually bigger teams have an advantage. And again, I'll dig into that some here shortly. Um, but again, I think Darvin Ham was just more prepared coming into that game than Steve Kerr was. And on top of that, Steve Kerr to me leaned a bit too much into the championship pedigree of his squad. Now, I know that could sound crazy because you want to be able to, as a coach, build trust in your team, you want to keep trust with your team, and when a team has done all that that Warriors franchise has done with him as the head coach over the last eight years, it makes sense that you don't want to panic and show all your cards in a game one of a series. Regardless if that means you're going to win or lose that game one of the series, you know that this is a seven-game series, it's a long series, and I don't want to show my hand too soon of what could be, knowing that there's still a potential six more games left to be played in this series, depending upon how things go. Now, granted, the Lakers did what they were supposed to do, stealing one on the road with a chance tonight. And we'll see, obviously, by the time you all hear this episode tomorrow, to go out and try to go up 2 0, going back to their home floor. Like that could definitely be a thing, obviously. But even if they don't, the Lakers did what they were supposed to do in the earlier part of this series, being the road team. But again, I think Kerr leaned into um, the experience, the talent, and just the overall trust that he has in his guys to go out there and figure it out against a Laker team. Again, that just had more time to plot, plan, and prepare for what it is that the Warriors like to do and to take away guys like Steph Curry, who didn't get many clean looks, and more importantly, take away the paint and own and dominate the paint, being that they were the bigger team. So now, again, I was on 620 Rip City Radio earlier this week, and Justin was asking me about, you know, what my prediction was for the series, and my take was that The Warriors would win this series. I didn't even say in how many games, but my take was that the Warriors would win this series because even though the Lakers do have an advantage in the paint, they obviously got a monster in Anthony Davis on their squad. The Warriors have faced off against a team with similar characteristics as this Lakers team just last season in the NBA Finals when they played against the Boston Celtics. Now, a lot of people going into that series felt Boston would win because they were the bigger team. They had a lot of length out there. They also had a rim protector in Robert Williams. Obviously, their wings are long and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. They have Marcus Smart, who was the defensive player of the year last season. They're a team that had the ability to switch everything. They were the number one ranked defense in the NBA as well. And the Warriors was able to overcome that And the way that they were able to overcome it was high pick and roll action with Steph Curry. Put the ball in his hands because, for one, he's your best player. And for two, he's the guy that you want to free up because once he gets freed up, you're either going to A, let him absolutely slice and dice you because he's so good and so talented of a player and he has the ability to do that night in and night out. Or B, you're going to focus so much attention on him so far away from the basket in that high pick and roll action that it creates nothing but space and opportunity for everybody else on the floor that he's playing with, and they'll be able to get good, clean looks, and now you got a team that's just in absolute rhythm. So with Anthony Davis, for example... Yeah, Kevon Looney's been playing great, had another game with 23 rebounds. He's been a 20-rebound-per-game machine in this postseason thus far. I don't think anybody expected Kevon Looney to be able to guard Anthony Davis, and it showed. So with that said, you're going to have to spend a significant amount of time playing small ball which is okay to me because knowing that Kevon Looney cannot guard Anthony Davis and knowing that when he is on the floor, he's going to absolutely inhale rebounds. I say with or without Kevon Looney on the floor, your primary defender for Anthony Davis should be Draymond Green. He's a generational talent when it comes to the defensive side of the ball. He's going to make a guy like Anthony Davis work. There's no stopping Anthony Davis, but going nine for 10 from the field in the first half is a way to dig yourselves a hole playing against a really good and sizable Lakers team. And Draymond, again, he's smart, he's heady, he's cerebral, and he's also a guy that you don't particularly need to produce at the highest of levels offensively, and his primary focus can be defense, which is what he does really well. Um, But also, if you just think about the high pick-and-roll action, again, in this game you saw a lot of face-guarding, Jared Vanderbilt played absolutely great for the Lakers face guarding Steph Curry got tough to loosen Steph Curry up. Um, Schroeder was doing well with the face garden. Clay Thompson was being face guarded as well. The Warriors were just trying to do, have a lot of screen off ball screen action to loosen those guys up. But again, you're playing against a team that can switch everything. They're already face guarding you. Um, the dribble handoff action didn't particularly work as much either, but we did see late in the game, the Lakers, I mean, the Warriors, excuse me, make a comeback and they went on a 14-0 run. Had a chance to tie the game late. Obviously, Jordan Poole launched a three-pointer from beyond belief. Wasn't able to make it. And I'm not blaming Jordan Poole. I know he's been getting a lot of flack for shooting the 30-foot three-pointer when he probably could have stepped in and got a clean look and a much closer shot that would have been probably more of a makeable shot for him, although he's a great shooter and can launch from deep. Um, The Warriors still had a chance to win that game in the end. Um, went on a fifteen a fourteen zero run late, and guess what they were doing when they went on that fourteen zero run? They ran high pick and roll action, and what that does is this: again, for one, it forces a guy like Anthony Davis to not be able to hover and hang around the rim, because if you're setting the high screen, let's just say as Draymond for example, and Draymond doesn't have to be the screener every time, but I'm just using this for the sake of this example. If you're running a small ball lineup, which essentially was what they had out there on the floor, Draymond Wiggins, Clay Steph, and JP. And Anthony Davis has to guard Draymond Green. Draymond Green is going up to set a high screen at the logo for Steph Curry, who has the ball in his hands, to either A free him up, if indeed Anthony Davis decides to sag, because he'll free Steph Curry up. Steph Curry will get a clean look at the basket from three-point range, or even a few steps in if needed, and we all know how lethal Steph Curry is when he gets clean looks. Or B, say Anthony Davis wants to come up and they want to double Steph Curry off the screen immediately. Steph Curry has to get rid of it He gets rid of it over the top, maybe to Draymond Green, who now has four-on-three action to be able to work with and has been proven to be a smart player on that side of the ball. And also a guy who, rather than having play in a scenario where nobody's guarding him and everybody's sagging off on him, but able to focus on the shooters like Klay Thompson and Steph Curry, which essentially can put you in a four-on-five type of a situation because they're letting Draymond Green just hang out with the ball on top of the key as they're switching everything else and have an extra body to be able to kind of stunt towards whatever looks like the next best option for Draymond Green to make. You give Draymond Green more floor space to operate. Now you have two guys that have been drawn to Steph Curry after he gets doubled on a high screen at damn near half court. And now Draymond Green has four on three action with guys that can shoot it really well and with guys that can score and make baskets. And obviously he's shown to be able to be a good facilitator as well that's where the advantage is going to be for the Golden State Warriors. That's where the advantage was for the Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals a season ago when they played against the Boston Celtics. So the Warriors did get into more of that action. Um, Obviously, again, we saw it during the run. Stan Van Gundy was speaking to it a lot during that run as well because it almost feels like the Warriors figured something out in that moment. And quite frankly, I don't think it was something that they had to figure out. I think it was more so of a situation that it was an ace in the, in the back pocket of Steve Kerr, but, he trusts his guys, and he wanted his guys to try to figure it out in other ways before he went into that action because if they can figure out other ways to dissect that Lakers defense who, again, played absolutely well and win that way, he'll still have up his sleeve that high pick-and-roll action when needed and when necessary. The Warriors obviously went to a little bit of a zone defense at that time too which I think was a different look for the Lakers that they now will have to prepare for going into game two tonight. But again, I still think the Warriors obviously have a chance, um, especially if they can go out and win game two tonight. I have trust in them to be able to go and take home court back and steal a game in Los Angeles as well. Um, but I think this series can is going to at least go six, especially now that the Lakers have taken care of their part and stolen a game in Golden State Could potentially go the distance as well. The Lakers do have star power. Again, Ham's coaching well. And again, quite frankly, the just absolute dominance of Anthony Davis is something that you just got to be aware of because he really is that dude. So... I think the Warriors are going to win game two tonight. I think you'll see them get into that high pick and roll action much earlier tonight. And that will obviously favor them in being able to come away victorious. And then you got a 1-1 series going into Saturday night in the game three down in Los Angeles. Now, I want to talk a little bit more before I get into some of the other series, since we're already starting with the Warriors and Lakers. Um, some of the narratives that have been going on with Steph Curry, obviously a following what it was that he was able to do in that game seven. Again, a historic game seven score, 50 points absolutely took over dominated and annihilated the Sacramento Kings. And now we're in a situation where he's facing off against LeBron again in the postseason. something we've never seen them have to do in the same conference as each other. We've always seen them have to do it. And the NBA finals. Cause LeBron was in the Eastern conference for majority of his career. And since LeBron has come over to the West and has some success, these two teams just haven't gotten able to line it up to where they ended up facing off in the conference playoffs. Obviously in this case, it's the conference semis, the Western conference semis. And here we are, we've got that action now. So there's a lot of legacy talk happening as well, based on who these two dudes are, what it is that they mean to the game and what it is that we have in front of us now, which is the best case scenario for the NBA as the Warriors and the Lakers are facing off in the postseason right now. There's been dialogue around Steph Curry on a couple of things. One, where he ranks as a point guard, which obviously is kind of a blurry conversation because Steph Curry has revolutionized the game in such a way that although his position on a depth chart may say point guard, He is more of a combo guard. He is more of a hybrid guard. And I would even go as far to say he is the greatest combo guard to ever play the game of basketball, period. Which makes it to where it's a little bit harder to say that he's the greatest point guard of all time because a lot of people are basing the point guard position based on his tradition as sort of a facilitator, a primary ball handler, a player who doesn't play off the ball as much. And if we talk about who who is the epitome of that or has been over majority of NBA history, it's been Magic Johnson. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that Magic Johnson and Steph Curry are two completely different players in the way that they approach the game, how they play a game and play the game and what makes them effective within the game of basketball. So for me, I think that's an argument that, or debate that just shouldn't be happening right now, and we've got to take the conversation into more of a macro level, and instead of saying where Steph Curry ranks amongst point guards, we just need to talk about where Steph Curry ranks all time as a basketball player, based on obviously his accolades and accomplishments on the floor, the fact that. He is more of a positionless basketball player and we have to be able to acknowledge and accept that as well. And also the way that he's revolutionized the game, probably to an extent or a magnitude that maybe three or four other players have in the history of the sport. So now you have a situation where LeBron, who is either number two or number one on most people's lists, I started off with number two because I do still think The general consensus for most people out there is that Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time. Um, But some people obviously feel like LeBron James has surpassed Michael Jordan as the greatest player of all time. And debate your uncle at the family barbecue. I'm not here to really get into that in particular with those two. I am here to talk about and compare the legacies of LeBron James and Steph Curry, though. And a lot of the reason is because they do come from the same era. And a lot of conversations that we have about players and where it is that they rank all time is 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 what makes it tough to have is that players play in different eras and you don't have as much head-to-head action between these particular players to be able to specify who it is that may be greater than the other. So Stephen A. Smith came out on ESPN and he's been getting a lot of criticism because he basically came out and said, if Steph Curry is able to beat LeBron James in this series and go on and win the championship, which I think is very key to acknowledge as well, it's not just beat LeBron in this series, it's also go on to win a championship, which probably means he would win another NBA, uh, NBA Finals MVP as well. And it would certainly mean that he would then have five rings to LeBron James's four, that he may have to take LeBron James off of his NBA Mount Rushmore and replace him with Steph Curry. Now, I agree 50-50 with Stephen A. Smith. Where I agree with Stephen A. Smith is if Steph Curry is able to go through LeBron James to a path to a fifth title, He's already beaten LeBron James three other times in the NBA finals to LeBron James is one time defeating him in the NBA finals. I can see a world where Steph Curry may be greater than LeBron James on my all time list. And obviously that list will continue to be fluid as both of these guys continue to play in the NBA and have more chances to potentially face off against each other or have more chances to potentially you know, win more championships, even if they don't have to go through each other to get them. But with that said, where I disagree with Stephen A. Smith is LeBron James would not be the player bumped off of the Mount Rushmore list because you add Steph Curry onto the Mount Rushmore list. Because I would go as far as to say that I have, if I had to just say my own list, I have LeBron James as the second greatest player of all time. And damn it, he had to earn it. And quite frankly, I don't think that he definitively earned it until this season when he broke the all-time NBA scoring record. That's when he definitively earned it for me, because quite frankly, I'm a Kobe guy. It's been very challenging for me to accept or say that LeBron James is better than Kobe Bryant all time. I know a lot of people have been saying it for years now. Quite frankly, I've kind of played around with the idea that he could be, but definitively, it wasn't until this season when he broke that NBA scoring record that I was like, all right, LeBron James, I I probably have to put him at number two on that list now. Steph Curry, I probably got at like number five on my list right now, maybe. Matter of fact, let me pull my list up here, because I, I well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let me go ahead and pull my list up. I have top 10 in order. This is Devon Pouncy's top 10 in order list. Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Steph Curry, Shaquille O'Neal, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, Tim Duncan, Larry Bird, and Hakeem Olajuwon. Again, I'm not getting ready to get into my entire list, but I have my reasons for why my order is the way it is. If you want me to talk about it more, just reach out to me. I'll be glad to break it all down to you. But sticking to Steph Curry and LeBron here, I do think if Steph wins a fifth title that he could surpass Kobe on that list and LeBron on that list and become the second greatest player in the history of the NBA. I do believe that. And there's a lot of people out there that would say that Steph Curry can't be that high on the list because his lack of ability to defend. But for me, while, yes, I hold a lot of merit in players' ability to f- to defend, sometimes you can transcend even that. And I think Steph Curry has been able to transcend that with his ability to shoot the basketball a three is more than two. All the other guys that are ahead of him on my list in particular are guys who primarily scored the basketball in the two-point area, aren't particularly known as great shooters. He was able to transcend that by being able to shoot the three-pointer so effectively, we all know a three is worth more than two, that he's now potentially on his way to his fifth ring this year and counting. So for me, yeah, I see a world where Steph can jump, can jump Kobe and LeBron this year if he's able to go through LeBron, win another championship, win his fifth title. I can see a world where that could be the case. Again, something else I'll give LeBron credit for as to why he is number two on my list as well is the longevity that he's been able to play at as high of a level as he's played at. But if I'm going to give LeBron credit for playing at has high of a as as high of a level as he's played at over the course of his career, I gotta give Steph Curry credit for being able to beat LeBron as many times as he has in his career. Especially if he's able to figure it out in this here series and advance past the Los Angeles Lakers and again win a championship. I don't think it's just advancing past LeBron that moves him up on that list. It's advancing past LeBron and going out and winning a championship that moves him up on that list. So that's where I'm at with the whole conversation. Yes, I do see a world where Steph Curry can be better than LeBron James on the all-time list. Sorry, not sorry. And a lot of that reason has to do with the head-to-head. Steph Curry has been LeBron's biggest nemesis in his career. We don't know, quite frankly, who Jordan's nemesis was because every time Jordan went to the NBA finals, he won which is probably why you got to put him at number one. That's why he's number one on my list. These two, of course, LeBron, I mean, Michael Jordan, obviously has lost in earlier rounds earlier on his career. But what I'm saying on the biggest stage, which is the NBA finals, Jordan just never lost. And he won six of them things. So for me, that's just kind of where I stand on that. I do see a world where Steph Curry can jump ahead of LeBron James on my all time list. If he's able to accomplish those things that Stephen A said, beat LeBron on the path to a fifth title, but that doesn't bump LeBron James on the mount off of the Mount Rushmore list, which is your top four players. That's where I stand on that. Um, with the rest of the playoffs, obviously, I think the postseason is still pretty wide open. Um, Boston handled business in game two last night with Embiid returning. Congratulations to Embiid. Well-deserved MVP. And I don't think it had anything to do with race. I think it had everything to do with Embiid going out there and earning that award this season. And he did just that. I know there's been a lot of conversation surrounding race with some of the Kendrick Perkins comments that was made a couple months ago um, as this race was going on. Um, But I think Embiid flat out earned it race aside. Congratulations to him. I think that series has a chance to go to distance as well. Now that Embiid is back in the series and the, and because of Harden's phenomenal performance in game one, the Sixers did what they needed to do by still in the game and able to take home court advantage as they now head back to Philadelphia in a series tied one-to-one with the couple of, with the next couple of games being played down in Philly. Um, I think also I've said it before, I'll say it again, that that series, even though it's happening in the semifinals round, and I hate to disrespect Jimmy Butler in this way because he's made me eat my words so much over the years, I still am going to go out and say that this is the Eastern Conference finals round that's just happening to be played in the semifinal round. Regardless of what happens in the Heat-Knicks series, which I think you know if Jimmy can come back healthy, um, I think the Heat will win with the healthy Jimmy Butler. Obviously, without a healthy Jimmy Butler, I think the Knicks take that series. Um, you know, regardless, whoever wins the Knicks Heat series, I don't think gets past whoever wins the Celtics and the Sixers series. So I think that's the series on the Eastern Conference that, that we gotta watch and follow because whoever wins that, I think essentially will win in the Eastern Conference Finals and face off against one of the three teams in the Lakers, the Warriors or the Denver Nuggets, because quite frankly, I think the Phoenix Suns are done. I think they're done. I think that Joker is too damn good. I think that the Suns just aren't deep enough. And I also think that the only way the Suns come back from being down 0-2 right now, although they get to go play at home for the next couple of games is if Kevin Durant definitively becomes the best player on the Phoenix Suns. And quite frankly, he just has not been. Devin Booker, in my opinion, has been the best player on the Phoenix Suns. Now, that's not a bad thing. Like, we saw Devin Booker turn that Phoenix Suns organization from shit to sugar since he'd been drafted there and obviously has now years later, turned them into a contender as pretty much the centerpiece in the franchise player of that organization. Obviously, you bring Chris Paul over, that helps. You got DeAndre Ayton there, that helps. But I would still say the Suns franchise player is Devin Booker. And since Kevin Durant has arrived, he hasn't taken over and become the guy on that team, which I think is what's going to have to take for the Suns to have a chance to come back in this series and beat Denver because quite frankly as great as devin booker is and i'm a huge fan of devin booker i love his game i've advocated for devin booker on this here podcast time and again um as an mvp candidate over the years i love devin booker i'm like probably one of my top 3 favorite players in the league quite frankly the reality is he ain't better than joker and because he's not better than joker guess what that means the player that has the potential to be better than Joker in this series is Kevin Durant. But if Kevin Durant is not going to be that guy playing against Joker, who also has more depth on his team, there's no way that I see Phoenix coming back and being able to win this series after already digging a hole for themselves and with the excessive amount of minutes that Booker and Kevin Durant are already having to play and now Chris Paul being out and he's now hurting this series. Like, I just don't see a path for a comeback for the Suns in this series unless Kevin Durant turns into Game 7 Kevin Durant. Even though they lost, he was an inch away from beating the Bucks a couple years back with the Brooklyn Nets. And unless he turns into that guy, I don't see a path forward for the Suns. So with that said, it comes down to Denver, who I think is playing the best basketball in the postseason thus far. And whoever they got to play out of the Lakers-Warriors series, I think would, would create a great conference finals matchup. Whoever they got to play. The Lakers obviously got size and and great players. They got LeBron James, obviously. They got Anthony Davis and the Warriors, the defending champions. We've seen these two teams face off before. We know the pose. I mean, the threat that they pose as well. Um, So that's just kind of where I am right now in this moment with the playoffs, with the postseason. Um, and you know, again, it's been a great post season. I've thoroughly enjoyed it so far. I'm loving what's going on and I'm here for what is to come as a fan of basketball. Although I, uh, I need, uh, I need, uh, the Warriors to go out and figure it out. <laughs> I just really do need the warriors to go out and figure it out. I want to see them go forward. I want to see my guy GP2 get another chance at a ring. Um, and we'll see what happens here tonight in game two. They can either put themselves in prime position to be in a good place in this series, or they can dig a hole in for themselves go down O2 and have to play the next two games on the road. Um, I mentioned GP2, and I want to segue that into this whole Dylan Brooks conversation. Um There was a report that came up from Shams Sharania from The Athletic and Shams basically reported and tweeted that the Memphis Grizzlies are deciding to part ways. I'm paraphrasing here, but I'll I'll get the exact tweet for you maybe shortly if I can hurry up and find it. But anywho, paraphrasing the Memphis Grizzlies are parting ways with Dylan Brooks And there is no chance that Dylan Brooks could return to the team. No chance. That is kind of intense. It's kind of intense. Now, Dylan Brooks, y'all know how I feel about Dylan Brooks based on the commentary that I gave you all right here on this podcast a year ago, again, when he had that dirty foul against GP two and and fractured his elbow and had him out for a month in the postseason. Fortunately, fortunately the warriors were able to figure it out for the time span that they didn't have GP two in the, in the postseason, And he was able to make a return in the NBA finals and help them overcome the Boston Celtics last year. So Fortunately, it worked out that way for Golden State. But Dylan Brooks, in my opinion, um, quite frankly, has just lost some value. And here it is. I got the tweet up right here. The Memphis Grizzlies have informed pending free agent Dylan Brooks that he will not be brought back under any circumstances, league sources say. Um, a lot of people were not able to defend Dylan Brooks based on the way that he acted and reacted during this playoff series against the Lakers. Um, Obviously he had a lot to say about LeBron James talked a lot of shit. And then when things kind of went haywire for the Grizzlies, he stopped showing up to media press conferences, stopped talking to the media after having so much to say to the media prior to that, when he thought he had a chance in that series, Um, And to me, that was pretty weak. That was just absolute weak tea from Dylan Brooks. On top of the fact that he played like shit, he could not shoot the ball worth a damn. And I just think overall, he sort of devalued himself because as a guy who's expected to be an elite defender in this league, if you're not a three and D guy, you have to be just that an elite defender in this league. And I don't think he was particularly that. He obviously wasn't no three guy because he just, you just leave him wide open and he couldn't throw a rock in the ocean from, the, from beyond the arc. It just was no chance that he was going to hit three pointers. Now, the few years prior to that, Dylan Brooks has averaged 16 and a half, 17 and a half, and 18 and a half points per game. This season, Dylan Brooks averaged about 14 and a half points per game, which is a significant drop off from a season ago when you averaged 18 and a half points per game. And The Grizzlies were in contending conversations in ways that they just weren't as much this year. Although, you know, when it's all said and done, they were still a number two seed in the West. Like, they had a good season overall for what it's worth. Um, But also, to be fair to the Grizzlies organization, who clearly have decided that they no longer want to be or or, want to have Dylan Brooks a part of that organization, Dylan Brooks averaged 18 and a half points per game last year, but only played 32 games. So you have twice the sample size for a guy who played 70 plus games this season and averaged 14 points per game. And then obviously wasn't able to score the ball, shoot the ball efficiently, which you're going to need shooters to play with a guy like John Morant, who's your best player, your franchise player, you've already committed to contractually. And he's not the greatest of shooters. And he likes to do a lot of his damage in the painted area. So you got to have guys that he's able to kick the ball out to, to create more spacing for him to be able to thrive in the painted area, which is what he's so great at doing, but also pose a threat beyond the arc. Um, The other guys have to pose a threat beyond the arc to where you don't get to just pile up on John Morant and make things tougher for him. He kicks it out to a guy like Dylan Brooks, who again can't throw a rock in the ocean. Now. Dylan Brooks agent has come out and criticized Shams for that report saying that it was a false report. Again, I'm paraphrasing there. And quite frankly, I actually know, I know folks in the front office of the Memphis Grizzlies and they have basically let me know that they did not leak that information to that of Shams, which is very believable for me on a lot of fronts. Um, For one, it just wouldn't make sense for for an organization to do that. Because although they don't plan on having Dylan Brooks next season, um, there's other scenarios where Dylan Brooks could still be an asset to them in the offseason, let's say in like a sign-and-trade scenario. Um, With that said, also, to my knowledge... I'm here in Portland, right? And obviously Dylan Brooks played at the University of Oregon. So us being here in Oregon, I think is very relevant for us to talk about Dylan Brooks, but I'm here in Portland. And anytime that there's a national report on the Portland Trailblazers, if it comes from Chris Haynes in particular, it holds more weight than maybe if it comes from a Woj and that's not me knocking the credibility of Woj or even Shams for that matter I'm not knocking their credibility but what I'm ultimately saying is is Chris Haynes is kind of the Trailblazers guy um he's Dame's guy in the national media he and Dame have a tight relationship so you kind of put a little bit more merit when it, Chris Haynes is reporting on the Portland Trailblazers, who also he happens to be really good friends with their franchise player then maybe you would if Woj or Shams or anybody else reports on the Portland Trailblazers. And obviously Chris Haynes once worked in this market before he went to national uh, coverage of the NBA. Chris Haynes came from this market, has covered the Portland Trail Blazers. In the case of the Grizzlies, to my knowledge, Woj has kind of been their guy when it comes to, leaking or giving information to the national media to go out and report. The fact that Shams was the one that reported this was a little iffy to me from the jump. It was a little iffy to me from the jump. And again, Dylan Brooks' behavior on and off the court had become so indefensible that I could see a world Where somebody went to Shams. I don't know who that somebody is. Could be somebody in Dylan Brooks's camp. At this point, we gotta say that it wasn't Dylan Brooks's agent because he's come out and criticized Shams for this report. But somebody who wants to kind of kind of help change the narrative around Dylan Brooks would leak something like this. Because Dylan Brooks, who had become arguably the most indefensible indefensible player in the NBA, now has this narrative out there that he's basically being scapegoated by the Memphis Grizzlies, who have gone through a lot, by the way, but also to the Grizzlies' credit again, have been pretty accountable for everything that they've gone through. Dylan Brooks was the guy being scapegoated by the organization, which then now you have people in the media coming to the defense of Dylan Brooks, who again was basically the most indefensible player in the NBA after what happened in that series against the Lakers, the way he played in that series against the Lakers and the way he behaved, not being able to stand on his production in that series or in this case, lack thereof. So now with Shams being able to report this, And now you have the people of the likes of Kendrick Perkins coming out and criticizing the Grizzlies, people of the likes of even Steven Jackson coming out and criticizing the Grizzlies for what they assumed was the Grizzlies leaking this report to Shams. It helped kind of change the narrative a little bit around Dylan Brooks and made it to where maybe he isn't as bad as, what we saw on display and we all saw it and everything that we saw to me was all Dylan Brooks's fault, but you were able to create this narrative to make it seem like it wasn't as much his fault. And there was a cultural issue within the Grizzlies organization that needed to be acknowledged. And that's why it was that Dylan Brooks was being scapegoated because the Grizzlies weren't trying to take ownership of, Basically, a culture that they cultivated and created within that organization that obviously Brooks was a part of. So, again, for me. I've been able to speak with folks within that organization. They say they ain't said a word to Shams, and. I tend to believe that because I don't see why they would say that to Shams in that way. And now you have his agent also coming out and saying that the reports, the reports that Shams put out there were false, and uh, again, I could see that being the case. So I still think Dylan Brooks is a piece of shit. Quite frankly, um, I thought that a year ago. He has done nothing. and I really I thought that more than a year ago. But I really kind of came out publicly and said that a year ago. Um, and he has done nothing in the last year for me to change my mind on that or backtrack on what it was that I've strongly came out and said and how I felt about him after what he did to GP2. And I was able to even acknowledge in that scenario, yeah, I got a personal relation with, with G, personal relationship with GP2, so I felt some type of way. But I also know what I know, I saw what I saw, and I continue to see what I see from Dylan Brooks, and I can see a world where the guy is not playing in the NBA next season. And that's not even me saying that he isn't an NBA player. That's me saying he's continuing to devalue himself. And if the guy don't figure out a way to shoot a jump shot, there's plenty of 3 and D guys out there that you would rather have than him, especially with the attention that he has brought upon himself, 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 in a negative manner over the last couple of seasons. So that's kind of where I stand on that. Um, Going away from the NBA, rest in peace to Harry Belafonte, um, you know, one of the greatest entertainers, uh, but also, you know, one of the earlier and foundational entertainers that sort of married entertainment and politics, um, did a lot of work on the activism front. Um and I would even say it is as a pillar to what it is that we do right here on this podcast when it comes to speaking and and, and intersecting issues of entertainment and politics and social issues. Um wanna give a rest in peace to him, want to continue to send my prayers out to that of Jamie Foxx, um, who is still from from what I know hospitalized. Um and I I, I really, really just wanna you know keep my prayers up with him I talked about it here before on this podcast he is an absolute generational talent in this space of entertainment um he is that dude and I want to just keep the prayers up for him as well um again um you know I also want to acknowledge the Blazers have a G League team coming to Portland I think that's super dope um you know I went to the last game of the season when the Warriors played against the Blazers and I basically said that the Warriors were playing against the Blazers JV team, and I wasn't saying that being critical of the players who are out there on the floor for the Portland Trail Blazers and like shitting on their skill sets or whatever and what it is that they do or don't do (laughs) um, in that case. It was more of a direct shot that I was taking. And I talked about it when we had Cam Jones on this podcast. He and I talked about it. It was more of a direct shot at the front office of the Portland Trail Blazers who put these end-of-the-bench guys on the floor that could have been two-way guys and have been getting meaningful reps in the G League, but the Blazers were only one of two teams that did not have a G League organization. And so it was kind of my way of being critical of the organization. And telling them to figure it out and start taking themselves a little bit more seriously. And they have since took a step in the right direction. Um, so I'm excited. I, You know I ain't complain, complaining about having more basketball here in the market in the city of Portland. So I'm excited that we will get just that. Um, again, you know, obviously today was more of an NBA-heavy podcast. We'll get into more topics next week. Um, and we'll obviously talk more NBA next week as well because... It's the season, baby. It's that time of the year. Um, And again, the playoffs have been super dope. Um, And on that note, I am going to leave y'all the only way that I know how, and that is to stay woke and go win.